Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are Lord of all, Lord Jesus. You're exalted above on your throne in heaven. You rule and reign over the universe. You rule and reign over the earth. You rule and reign in our church. And our prayer this morning, Lord, is that you rule and reign in our hearts. Father, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. And we just pray, Lord God, that you just soak us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Remain standing for just a second as I want to read scripture, my passage. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 says, Therefore, there now, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for what we're going to see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And uh, Rick and Paul will give you a Bible. And if you don't have one, it's yours to keep. As I said earlier, uh, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. And this morning, we come to one of the most magnificent passages in all the Bible. They, the, the, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they call it the kenosis, the self-emptying, where, where basically it means he, came, he had all the glory in heaven. He, he, he was, he's the eternal God, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the second member of the Trinity. You know, we believe the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he left glory and came to this earth for you and for me. What an amazing thing is what we're looking at. And, and the Apostle Paul, in this passage, he connects it with the unity within the body. So my question for you this morning is, is what propels the church forward? What, what, what moves a body of believers? What moves Calvary Chapel, or you, you put the church's name in there? What moves them forward? Is it lights? Is it, is it our programs? Um, is it food? And if you know anything about Calvary Chapel, we do a lot of eating around here. We like to eat. But is, is it those things that you see in the church that make the church move forward? And the answer is no. What moves the church forward? You look around. It's you guys. It's us being unified. Being together for the gospel. Being united in our pursuit of the Lord. To know him. And to make him known. Why is, uh, somebody might say, why is uh, unity important? What, what, why is it important? Well, number one, it's obeying Christ. If this was your last, if tonight was your last night on earth, if tonight was, what would your prayer be tonight? What would you pray for? For, for your children, for your family, for your loved ones. This is what Jesus did. Jesus prayed for on, on, on Jesus' last earthly night here on earth, the, the eve uh, before his arrest and crucifixion. I want to read to you what he prayed. It's found in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus said these words to his disciples, and I love how he includes us in it. He says, Jesus, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, talking about his disciples, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. Church, he's talking about us. He's talking about believers. That, that here, here's his prayer to the Father. 
that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So when we're walking in unity and we're walking together, most importantly, we're obeying Christ. But let's take it down to a, 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 a real a, a level that's tangible that we see within the body. And unity enables us to, uh, enables teamwork. You know, if you're not unified, you won't get nothing done. In family, in work, and, and it, work, it goes the same in ministry. If you're not unified, if you're not together, things will not work. It, 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 there's conflict, there's confusion, there's, there's people butting heads. But when we work together, teamwork, our mission can be accomplished. The, 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 the mission of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in ministry can take place. Third reason I would say um, that unity is important is authenticity. It shows the authenticity of our faith. It, it's, it's basically, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work within our body. And man, without the Holy Spirit working in our body, man, we're just, we're going nowhere. But with the Holy Spirit working in the body and bringing us together, we're obeying Christ, we, we can, it, 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 it produces teamwork, and it produces an authenticity. So we're looking at this morning, if you're not already there, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And, uh, Basically, what we have here is we have in this passage the formula for unity and then the model or, or the illustration and the application. Paul puts them in reverse order. First, he's going to tell us how we should live and, and what to do. And then he's going to give us the illustration of Christ's incarnation. So look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here is our formula for unity. This, Paul says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, right there in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2, we have, there it is, there's the formula for our unity. It's, and it's this, Paul, when he says, if there is any, Paul is not saying if it exists, you know, if, there, if it is there, if it exists. What he's saying there is, if you've experienced it, then you need to pass it on. If, if you've encountered God, if you've encountered these things he talked about here, that man, spread the wealth. Let other people enjoy it. The first one there, he says um, in verse 1, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. My question for you this morning, have you on an individual level been encouraged by Christ? Have you received encouragement from Christ by way of the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit putting it on your heart, by God speaking prophetically through someone, have you received encouragement from Christ? Well, if you have, some of us struggle and pass it on. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. Spread it around. What you receive, don't bottle it in. But share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The word encouragement, it means to, um, to challenge it means to propel forward. It means to keep them going. And sometimes we need that. I got rough weeks. I got rough times. And if it wasn't for my brothers in, in Christ that are in this room this morning, I could fall by the wayside. We all need encouragement. The second one there in verse 1, he says, 
if there is any um, constellation of love. Again, I'll pose the question to you again. Have you experienced the love of Christ? Have you experienced his deep, profound love by his spirit? Have you experienced that love? If you've experienced the love of God, man, again, let it go. Share it with others. Share that love of Christ with your family. Share that love of Christ with your neighbor. Share that love with your body, the believers here. Consolation of love. Love means that you are committed. Three, I'm, I'm going to give you um, four things that love means. Love means, one, that you care. A genuine love means I care deeply about this person. Love also means, number two, it means that you're committed. Thick or thin, no matter what happens, I'm committed to this person. Love means that you want the very best. You want the, the, the very best for the other person. And this is the tough one right here. This is one that even Pastor David struggles with in certain situations in my life, and we all do. But love means we speak the truth. Love means that we speak the truth, even when it's hard. Even when it would be much easier to dip out and go somewhere else. True love, God, God's agape love says, you know what? I love you so much. I'm not going to let you wreck your life, and I want to sit down, and I want to talk to you. And, and that is love. A, a, a brother that truly loves me is not going to let me wreck my life. And he, he, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna warn me, even when it's difficult. You could apply this to family. You could apply this to your um, church body. You could apply this to neighbors. You could apply this to everywhere. The next one there in verse 1, um, he says, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, I'm going to ask you again, have you experienced the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Are, are you operating in his gifts? Is, is, he giving you, is the Holy Spirit giving you a gift to where you can exercise that gift within the body of Christ, within your family, in your neighborhood? What gifting has the Spirit given you? He says here in verse 1, he says, the fellowship of the Spirit. The word fellowship means partnership. It means partnership. We're all in this thing together. We all have different gifts. We all have different callings. But we bring them together and we use them, not because they came of our own natural abilities, but because they came from the Holy Spirit when, when you got saved. And then he says there um, in verse 1, it's really breaking this one down. He says there in verse 1, he, he finishes, he says, if there's any affection and compassion, any affection and compassion, that means raw emotions. That means I deeply care. That's good to have as a Christian. To show someone I really care for you. And I, I'm going to speak the truth. And I'm going to get emotional. And things are going to get it raw. But it's because it's been given to me by the Holy Spirit. And, 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 I, and I'm going I'm to go the extra mile with you. And I'm going to help you, whether it's speaking the truth or love, it's consolation of love or encouraging in the Holy Spirit. There can be affection and compassion. We don't have to be this uh, stale, dry, stoic, Paul, you better stop doing that. No, Paul, man, listen, man, you're going to mess your life up if you keep on. You need to, here's what you need to do. Do it in love, do it with passion, but we can also do it with affection and compassion. All right. Next verse, verse 2. Next, verse 2, what do we do with our unity? Once, once, once the body of Christ is unified, what do we do? Look at verse 2. 
He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If you put all that, if I put all that together, this is what I believe that's saying. Um, the Lord is saying to us, we got to come together. We got to come together. And that's more than just numbers. That's more than just, okay, we all come together at 312 St. Andrews Road at Calvary Chapel. But what he says there, he says, we come together with what? Look at it. He says, we come together with the same mind. The same mind. That means that we're focused. That we're focused. Remember what the old ball coach used to say? Get your head in the game. But, but we've got to be focused. We've got to get our head in the game. And we've got to get mentally prepared for what God is going to do. Then he says there, um, uh, what do we do with this unity? Uh, he says the same love. We've got to walk in the love of God. We've got to walk in God's agape love. You know, we've got to see people with the love of Christ. We don't judge a person by their outer appearance. We don't judge a person by what they wear or how many piercings or how many earrings or, or whatever you want to say. We judge a person by the love of Christ. That whoever they are, you know, God loves them. And we see them as someone that Jesus Christ died for because he loved them. So we have that same love for people. Then it says there, we're united in one spirit. Simply, I love the song they chose, by the way. That song that we opened up, the video. I love how it says, we are one. We are one. We're united in spirit. We're, we're united together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, and then he says intent on one purpose. One purpose is to know our God, is to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to make him known in the community. Let, let take what God has done in my life. I, I, me personally, I take what God has done in my life and I want to see him replicate it in box life, in your life, in our neighbor's life. I want to proclaim his name and let people see that transformation. That's the purpose. We don't bottle it in. We let it go. And we sow the seed. Verse 3. Verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Let's just go ahead and continue down to verse 5. No. That's not a good idea. I'm being sarcastic. Verse 3 and 4 is hard. If you, if you look closely at what God is saying to us this morning, this is hard. This is difficult. But this is one of the crucibles of Christianity is, is, is when we say, you know what? I'm not going to place myself first. I'm going to place others first. That's difficult because we, 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 we live in a world, we live in a world that says, in a culture that says, look out for number one. It's all about me. It's all about I, you know, and that's, that's, what, that's what's ingrained in our minds. But to be quite honest, to be quite honest and transparent with you, that's sinful. That's sinful and it's carnal when all we care about is ourselves and we don't care about others. Man, you have the gospel. You have the, you have God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside of you. You have the Bible. Man, let it go. Let it go. And, and place other people above ourselves. 
a lot of times, that's what will bring people to Christ. When, when, when you place their needs above your own, and, and they say, wow, something is not natural in this person. You're right. It's, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's called the Lord living in us and using us around. Now, notice what the, uh, the Apostle Paul says here. We don't neglect ourselves. Look at verse 4. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, we do take care of ourselves. You know, we take care of our business. But in the meantime, we carve out time in our life to take care of other people. Um, verse, verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. He says, okay, and by the way, this is where it gets deep, and this is where it gets theological, and it's a magnificent passage. Volumes and thousands of books have been written on this passage. Um, it's a wonderful passage, and it's a picture of, of Christ coming from heaven to earth. Many theologians believe this may have been a, um, a, a song of the early church. Verse 5, he says, uh, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is our model for spiritual unity. Now the scripture is pointing us to the illustration. It's pointing us to the person. It's giving us an example. You know, we, we don't follow any man. Don't follow any person. Don't follow any pastor. Follow Christ. Follow, follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what was Jesus' attitude when he was on earth? Remember, he's the eternal God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But what was his attitude? You know, if it, the rational mind would think when Christ came to earth, he would have been born in a palace, high on the hills of Rome, with all the glory he had from heaven. That's where you would think that he would come. But where did he come? In a stable, in a stinky manger. That's our God. That's our God. Nobody is outside of his reach. He came to identify with everyone, all people. Because all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners that need his salvation. So let's look at his attitude, verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, verse 7, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. The first thing Paul says here in verse 6 he says, he existed in the form of God. I've already said this a couple times, but sticking with the text, Jesus Christ is Lord and God. He did not come into existence at his birth. He left heaven and came to earth. He left the glory, the majesty, the worship, because he was God. And he, he existed in the form of God. He was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. It says he existed in the form of God. But, it says, verse 6, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe from the moment of the fall, I believe from the moment of the fall in the Garden of Eden that the Lord Jesus Christ, he was waiting. He was ready. He was waiting for the appointed time for the Father to say, it's time, it's showtime. 
It's time for the incarnation. It's time for you to go to the earth and die on the cross and make the ultimate sacrifice. It says, he did not regard, he did not regard equality with God. In other words, Christ is saying, I, I'm, I'm in glory, I'm in heaven, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this down to go to earth and fulfill the Father's mission to bring salvation. It, when he, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, he left the glory to come down to earth. You know, many times we always talk about here on earth, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait for the glory. I can't wait for the streets of gold. And to that I say amen. But Christ is, think, is thinking, I can't wait to get to earth. I can't wait to leave heaven and get to earth so I can die on the cross and make a way for these people to be saved. Verse 7, continuing um. He says, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. What we see here in this, in this passage, in this text, is the ladder down and the ladder up. Jesus Christ coming down from heaven to earth. And the big phrase in here that people have, de- have talked about for centuries is in verse 7 where it says, he emptied himself. What does this mean? The Greek word is kenosis. Let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean in, at any point that Jesus ever stopped being God. He was always God. He always was, always is, and always will be. He will always be God. He never laid down his divine attributes. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So even when he came to earth, he did not lay, he did not lay down his attributes. What I believe um, this, this kenosis, what the self-emptying is that Paul talks about in verse 7, he's simply talking about the incarnation. Going from the glory of heaven down to sinful earth. Going from, from glory down to, down, to, down to dirt. See, be- before he came to this earth... All the glory of heaven was on Jesus. But when he came to this earth, and in in, in what we're looking at and studying this morning, he didn't focus on um, himself. He, he focused on others. He gave his life for you and me at Calvary. He did not spend, Jesus, when he came to this earth, even though he, he deserved all the glory and all the praise and all the majesty that come to him, he, he took that and laid it aside and said, I'm going to spend my life focusing on others. Do you see the correlation between unity? Do you see it? How he laid aside his own desires to focus on us, the body, and how today in 2019, when we lay aside our own desires and we focus on others, it brings unity. It it brings unity within the body. Charles Spurgeon said of this phrase in verse 7, he says, um, Christ emptied himself of all his honor, of all his glory, of all his majesty, and all the reverence that was being paid to him in glory. Why? To focus on you and me. Christ in his omniscience had Gene on his mind, had you and I on his mind. He had, he had, it was on us. And if that wasn't enough, you know, we talk about this ladder. Think about it. Jesus is in glory. He takes on the form of a human, uh, takes on flesh. Then it says in verse 7, um, he took the form of a bond servant. That means an indentured slave in the first century. 
That's one that served their master at no cost because the master was so good to them. But look at verse 8. If that wasn't enough, if that wasn't low enough from heaven to earth, it gets even lower. Look at verse 8. He says, being found in appearance as a man, he, talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then Paul adds this emphasis, even death on a cross. You need to understand, in the first century, crucifixion was the cruelest form of punishment. It could get no lower. It was, it was, it was the, the absolute worst possible way you could treat a human being. Crucifixion. It was meant to humiliate. It was meant to crush. You could go no lower. It, the, the crucifixion in the first century, it was, it was um, developed by the Persians a couple centuries before Christ, but the Romans, man, they, they perfected it. They perfected it to the maximum amount of pain that could be inflicted. Why did they make it such a horrible, heinous, ugly event? Because they wanted crucifixion to serve as a sign to all the Roman Empire. If you break our laws, this is what will happen to you. And our Lord, your God, your Savior, your King, the one that you pray to every night, did that. He endured that cross. He en endured the cross. And I, and I can just see the Lord Jesus Christ going through the, the suffering, what do they call it, the, the Via Della Rosa, the, the crucifixion. And I could just see, based on the testimony of Scripture, he committed himself to the Father. He committed himself to God. Because he had a mission. As, as, he was, as, he was, as he was being placed on the cross and nailed, in his, in his, in his omniscience, in his deity, he had us on his mind. Whoa, what great love. What, what great, unfathomable. I don't know if you and I will be able to get it before we pass. I think God's love is so great and so magnificent. I wonder how much can we understand. I think it's that great. It's that powerful. But the more we study his word and the more we get into it and the more we uh, take the bulls by the horn and, and, and press into the Lord in our personal relationship, I think we get little glimpses along the way. And I think that just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows more. But he, but he, he, even death on a cross. So here we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gone to the lowest. He's gone to the lowest of lowest. He suffered um, a death on the cross that was meant for for hardened criminals. And what he did is he obeyed the Father. The crucifixion was not Plan B. It was Plan A from before the foundation of the world. And let's look at the outcome. We'll, we'll close with verses 9, 10, and 11. After, um, after his suffering, and after three days later, he rose from the grave. Let's look at the outcome. It's beautiful. He says in verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our Jesus won the victory. He won the victory. He defeated death physically, literally, 2,000 years ago by his empty tomb. And he ascended to heaven. It says in verse 9, and it says, God highly exalted him. What does that mean? That means the father said, son, come and sit at my right hand and make intercession for the church. Be the advocate for the believers. Uh, Son, pour out the Holy Spirit on the church and on believers. God highly exalted him. And then it says in verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Let me just say this. And this is a real simple phrase, but we need to think about it and the implications in this world. But it says there in verse 10, it says, every knee will bow. Every single human being that's ever lived on planet earth, you, you, you will bow in this life or you will bow in the one to come. You will either bow before the Lord Jesus Christ at the Bema seat of judgment where we're evaluated for our works or men will bow at the great white throne of judgment. Let's bow in this life. Let's bow our knee to the lordship of Jesus in this life and put our trust in him. And, and, and then that, when that day comes at the Bema seat, it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a judgment of rewards you know, the well done, thy good and faithful servant. Okay, Bach, you served here, you served here, and, and, and Christ gives you a crown, but guess what? You don't get to keep that crown because the scripture says you can take the crown and you can throw it back at his feet. So it's going to be short-lived. But all the glory is going to go to Christ. But, but we're going to bow. We're going to bow. Don't, and what stands in the way of bowing? Pride. pride. Pride is our enemy. Pride is the enemy of the believer. And, um, you know, and, 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 and unfortunately, it's an ongoing battle. It's a struggle. But, but pride is, is, is the enemy of humility. But when we let this truth in, hey, Lord Jesus, I bow today. I bow before you on physical bended knee because I know one day I'm going to bow before you. You know, I, um, I remember growing up in my grandparents' house. And I'll never forget um, my grandfather. Every single night in prayer, he would belt out a prayer, and it would echo throughout the house. And sometimes I, I would go past there. But you know what he did? He was bowing by his bedside, praying for his family and praying for everyone. And I think that's special. I think that's special that you, even physically, in your devotion, in your prayer time, in your office, in your study. Get down on a knee. Get prostrate before the Lord. And say, Lord, I bow before you. I humble myself. Because you are exalted. And then he says in verse 10, um, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And he says, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that's where I get all men will bow. Those in heaven, those those who have gone before us in heaven, those who are on earth, those who are under the earth, meaning those people that have even passed away and that weren't saved. One day they all will bow. 
And he says in verse 11, he says, And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All men will meet Christ. All, all men will meet him. You, you, we, all men will either meet him as Savior or judge. He, he'll either judge you for your rejection of him and, and your sin, or he will be your Savior who saves you from sin. That's our Jesus. That's our Lord. As I was looking over this passage, the thing that I want you to go home with this morning is this. Our model for unity is Christ. Our, our model for um, serving. Our, our model for, let me, let, me, let me help myself out here. Our model for everything is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our model for serving, our, our model for walking in unity, our model for doing what pleases God is even in Jesus. Because he was 100% God, 100% man, and he lived the life so that we could follow. I just want to encourage you, if you're a believer in Christ, go home and meditate on this passage. And say, say Lord, show me how I can walk in humility how I can serve. Lord, what are you giving me to minister to in the body of Christ? What are you giving to me to minister to my family? And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I'm not a Christian. Look at what Christ has to offer you. He, has to, he, he offers you salvation. He offers you forgiveness of sin. He offers you a new life a new direction if you will just simply receive him as your Lord and Savior and believe in him and begin that new journey. Um, consider the claims of Christ. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. And he, he offers you everything. Everything there is and that is important for life, he offers us. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Father, I just uh, pray, God, that you speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that in our verse-by-verse -verse study of this passage that you will just encourage us, Lord, in, in this area of, of unity. Lord, let, let us be one. Lord, we know we're going to have our little differences, and those are good, and those help us grow. But, Lord, in our common mission of serving you, glorifying you and, and, and teaching others about you and spreading your fame across Irma. Let us be unified in that same mission. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.